and welcome to Landscape Photography World, a podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on the show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Tom Kwan is a professional landscape and travel photographer based in Melbourne, Australia. His passion for capturing stunning visuals is evident in the vast array of images he's taken around the world, from the northern lights in Norway to the enchanting black spur in his home country. His background in design and multimedia gives him a unique perspective that shines through in his work. His approach to photography is spontaneous and instinct-driven, demonstrating his unique creativity. He has a preference for minimalistic compositions and tends to portray his subjects with a sense of symmetry. His style leads towards clean and balanced images, preferring to let the subjects of his images communicate with the viewer. With his versatility and adaptable mindset, he continues to finesse his craft while facing inevitable technological and industry-specific challenges. As a professional, Tom acknowledges the shift in his professional journey towards collaborative work in the field rather than solitary ventures. He values the experience of shared exploration and inspiration with fellow photographers. We discuss his career transition, thoughts on AI interference in photography, and how he overcomes his struggles with creative blocks, along with much more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Tom. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Grant. Uh, absolute pleasure, mate. Uh, it's uh, fantastic to actually put a face to the name. You and I have uh, chatted a bit on uh, Twitter and uh, social yes. media a little bit for a yeah. while. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, I think we spoke like in a Twitter or X space a few times before. Yeah. And even our profile pictures, our avatars, they're a little bit distant, so we don't really get to see one another's face to put a fa- <laughs> actually put a, a real face to um, the voice. <laughs> Fantastic. Why don't we start with who you are and why you do what you do? It's a question I ask myself every morning when I wake up. <laughs> so my name is Thomas. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Why do I do what I do? I think it's a tough question. I'm, I'm sure most people respond that way. Most guests who appear on your show would respond that way. I've always been a relatively creative person. When I was in school, I really loved drawing. Like doing graphic design was always one of my favourite sort of subjects. So it was always there. And even before specifically photography, I was actually more into video work. Okay. Which is, I think nowadays it's the reverse, isn't it? Like people, um, because of the pressure. Yeah, because of some pressure that's been put on people because of TikTok and Instagram reels. That I think I've found that people are moving into video more. But for me, I was doing a little bit of video first and then I found my way into photography. It, I can't really pinpoint exactly when or how it happened. But yeah, like I said, my background has always been relatively creative and um, I studied multimedia at a tertiary level. Mm-hmm. And so that course consisted of like doing animation and 3D design and 2D design and doing video. And, and I'm quite certain that taking photos would have been part of it, even though it wasn't necessarily an actual subject or an elective. But it was definitely doing 3D. You'd probably have to use a camera anyway because you have to take textures and stuff like that. To, to yeah. So so I had some a little bit of photography experience that way. But I think... Again, like most people in this sort of social media age, a lot of it is connected to travel. 
Yep. Which is probably not all that interesting, but yeah, it's definitely firmly tied with travel and it still is. And that's really what motivates me to take photos and keeps me doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what does photography mean to you? Do you call yourself a photographer or do you call yourself a content creator or a digital artist? Honestly, it really, it shifts. Like I, I might settle on one thing and then I might change and change it to something else. Like I might narrow it down to being a photographer. But then there are days where I might broaden that label and say I'm a digital creative. I think I even refer to it on my personal website. I I think I put photo, video and digital creative, which I guess I'm trying to encompass all of my experience and all of my skills, which isn't limited photography. I do video and I do, because of my background in design and multimedia, I do um, do web design and um, user experience design and animation as well. So it's not limited to photo- uh, photography. I don't know if it's a good thing or not to put a, a broader label. That might confuse people, but, but yeah. I, I, I think that there's a lot of people now just calling themselves artists who practice photography. Mm. But there's also others that say, and I'm personally not really one for pigeonholing. It's, it's yep. for me... It, it doesn't matter the medium so much. It, what matters more is what you get out of it and what other people get out of the work, to be honest. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I guess it's just what you can sort of, how you can back up those labels that you put on yourself with. That's or, it. Yeah. Particularly if you're doing it professionally, you've got to be able to say, okay, yeah. I'm this. Yeah. You, know, you can't call yourself a chef if you haven't cooked any. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. If you don't know how to cook, don't be a chef. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I am comfortable with labeling myself as a photographer and that is how I make a living nowadays. So I feel comfortable in calling myself a professional photographer. But again, I do still take on design work because I'm someone who doesn't, I can get bored quite easily. So I like to shift between photography work and design work and doing video as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But most of my work recently has been in photography and and video and less design so yeah yeah. focusing i guess on your personal work as opposed to the commercial stuff that you might get paid for more indirectly what is it that motivates you and gets you thinking okay this is the shot or this is the place i want to go etc yeah i think it comes down to what personal experiences i want to have like if i I'm really wanting to do a really adventurous outdoor travel type thing, like doing some hiking, then that might drive me to go to New Zealand or Patagonia or places like that. For sure. But really, but also I think unsurprisingly, it's seeing the work of others. There's a lot of things you could say about Instagram, a lot of it negative, but it is a great platform to see the work of artists and really be inspired. So Absolutely. I, I guess it's, it is a sort of a double-edged sword. You do see a lot of silly things and trending things that aren't necessarily very um, artistically valid. But if you sift through all that stuff, there is some really great, amazing stuff. So I definitely yeah, yeah. do get really inspired by the work of others, and that really does motivate me. So not necessarily copy, but just to explore other things yeah. like at the moment i'm finding myself being more driven towards portrait work okay whereas maybe a year ago i wasn't yeah. so 
yeah, so that's an area where I'm finding myself leaning towards a bit more. Okay. Again, with your, your personal work, do you set yourself goals in your photography at all or is it? Not really. No. Casual. I don't know. It's a tough one because how, how do you how do you measure it if you set yourself a goal is it capturing a specific image or yeah for some yeah, I, know. For, I, I know in talking to lots of people for some people that's mm. what they're out to do they yeah. they pre-visualize and they then put in place steps to make sure that they get the image that they've pre-visualized how they yeah. control the weather and whatever i don't know yeah, okay <laughs> they sound much more disciplined than i am because i'm not I, <laughs> I definitely have a list of images that i imagine in my head and would like to um come to fruition in terms of really being very focused and committed to achieving it i'm probably not very good at that because there's so many distractions and life gets in the way and so would you, you know, put yourself like more at the the you, you've got a planning end of the spectrum and a more spontaneous end of the spectrum yeah yeah i guess i'm probably more on the spontaneous end uh, yeah i'm so very bad at planning and yeah like i said so i guess when it comes to um landscape photography i don't necessarily consider myself as a landscape photographer but in terms of doing outdoor stuff then i tend to just sort of show up and hope for the best and see enough. what happens but I guess another, I think when, as we evolve, then we start to create images. We don't just go out there and document what we see and accept what we see and capture that. Because I think we, a lot of us get to a stage where we want to control the environment and manipulate it, not just in post, but in real life and create concepts and scenarios and lighting and subjects. So. I think I'm getting towards that side where I want to create more shots. Yeah. Okay. When but I, that, again, I'm very bad at planning them out. <laughs> when, when did that start to creep into your, to your work, do you think? Not probably pretty recently. Yeah, no. not too long ago. Because I've noticed in some of the people who whose work I really appreciated, I noticed that they were actually... And I think people's process is a lot more accessible nowadays. A lot, a lot of people like to do behind the scenes and oh, talk sure. about their process and be a bit more transparent. And when you see that, you realise that, hey, they're actually manufacturing things and creating things to put on in that frame so they can capture it. I think that I find that very inspiring. And, and also it's a bit hard because I guess travelling is not always financially possible right yep I did so I'd probably consider myself more as a, a travel photographer rather than a landscape photographer and okay. traveling is can be quite financially prohibitive sometimes sure if you shoot long enough in your state or in your city then things get stale and so you naturally find yourself drawn towards creating things I think yeah, yeah. what do you think personal ex the, well, sorry I'll start that again what role do you think your personal expression plays in your photography and how do you bring your own style and your own vision into your images i've always been of the attitude that these things come out organically and i don't try and think too much about it okay. i've always trusted my gut and yeah. relied on my instincts for instance i'm a pretty sick person and i I'm not a very material person and I like to keep things very clean, 
very, and I am drawn to, even in my graphic art days, drawn to patterns and symmetry and shapes. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't really a conscious de- decision to do any of that when I, while I was taking or had been taking photos, but I can see it come through. Mm. And if you look at my work, it is very minimal and a lot of the subjects are centre-framed and it, there is symmetry and shape, so that's always come through. And I always trusted that process and not, and just let it organically come through. I've never really sat down and said, I'm going to edit it this way or grade it this way. I think a lot of people find they get into trouble when they try and force something. At least that's been my experience when I've tried to, when I've sat down and I've said, look, I want to try and emulate this very specifically. Quite often it never works out. (laughs) Uh, I'm always, I tend to be disappointed. So I've just got to learn to trust my instincts and just let it come out organically, really. Yeah, fair enough. What would you say in terms of how much your of your success you could attribute to your ability to communicate well? Do you visually communicate or Yeah. It could be visually, it could also be hmm. the, the captions you put to it. Some people I know yeah. some people write poetry, some people write big long treaties sure. on exactly what they did, what yep. they had for breakfast before they set yeah. out you know, the whole story of the shot. Other people, it's more, it, this is the shot and yep. take it for what it is visually. Uh, yeah. yeah, how I communicate. I've never really thought about it that way. I think I am advantaged in some respects because of my style. I think it lends itself to this sort of social media age when you're looking at work and tiny screens and small grids. In a yeah. way, that's also... Like I said, that's part of my personality, but I think that's helped push me into that style of doing panoramas and stuff. Doesn't necessarily lend itself very well to more mobile displays because you don't really the effect of the panorama doesn't really translate. Yeah, but my style being relatively clean and minimal, I think it lends itself better uh, to smaller screen displays, and I think that's helped me. Yeah, and in terms of communication, I don't necessarily. By and large, I don't really approach it that way. It is very much of a, a more of an aesthetic thing. I'm just more interested in atmosphere. And people can interpret it however they want, as long as they get something out of it, but not necessarily trying to communicate anything specific. Yeah, okay. How do you define success then in your photography? What What's a successful shot to you? If it gets 20,000 likes. <laughs> No, look, obviously that does help when you put it out there. and Yeah, the response a, from the if public. If a mass audience responds to it, then yeah. that has to mean something. So that that is a way to gauge whether an image is successful or not. Yeah. But I really, it comes down to what your expectations were. Because um, a lot of us do have expectations when, yep. when we sort of arrive at a, a destination or a location. We, have, we do have something in mind. Um, whether we're really committed to it, that varies. But I think most of us have something in mind. Like we do want to come away at the end of the shoot with something, with hopefully what we had in mind. Sometimes the weather doesn't always play well. But, yeah, I think really it's just being able to bring to fruition what you had in your head. Um, But like I said, sometimes the elements don't play, so you can still come away with a good image. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how to answer that one, actually. Okay. How would you 
How would uh, I do it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talked about this, Grant. I, I told you I was yeah, going to no, bring no, it back to you. That, that's fine. For me, success isn't necessarily commercial or sure. social media. A lot is did I successfully capture what I wanted to capture? So in let, let's say it's a, a long exposure. I do a lot of long exposure seascapes, for example. Now, for me... The ideal in that situation is to try and get the dynamic range right because I'm usually working in a very high dynamic range situation where yep. the shadows are really dark and the brights are really bright at sunrise or sunset or so forth. So if I can successfully get that dynamic range so it looks like something that you would see with human eye without being unrealistic, oversaturated yada yada and for me i'm satisfied with an image if it comes out with a feeling of being there for me that to me is a successful image is that i look at it and i go yeah i can feel the water around my toes i can or ankles or knees depending on how deep i've waded in yeah. um, you know i, I can feel <laughs> the sun or not feel yeah. the sun because it hasn't got up yet, you know. Well, you know but it's again, it's about atmosphere, but it's yeah. it's about capture faithfully or as faithfully capturing that scene as possible with yeah. color, black and whites accepted. Because I do do a few of those. Of course, uh, it is. If you do it, then it, of course it's accepted. <laughs> that, that, that's right. But a lot will come down to how I feel about the shoot and how excited I was, was mm. I relaxed, was I tense, all those sorts of things. There's certainly seascapes, you can actually get yourself into positions where you probably shouldn't be under normal circumstances and you wouldn't go yeah. certainly in the dark like yeah. I do. So, yeah. I, so, think, yeah, I think that's right, yeah. But if, if I you feel if excited I can, about it. Yeah, if, if yeah. I can bring a bit of that sense of tension or sometimes even flipping that on its head and getting something that's very serene and very calming, mm. even though at the time I felt quite anxious about where I was standing, then, again, that, that's, that, that's something that feels successful to me. Yeah, I think, I think you're right when you said whether you feel excited about it. It doesn't technically have to check all the boxes, but if there's something about the... I, I like it if it technically then... checks all the boxes, yes. But... Yeah, see, I'm not a very technical person. Um, yeah. I, feel, I feel like a lot of landscape photographers are, and I've always pushed up against that. And I'm not too ex interested in technicalities. And um, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't call myself a technical photographer, but I like to. I like the, the depth of focus to be right. I yeah, like, sure. You know, yeah. If it's a long exposure, I like that to actually... Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm not taking a long exposure on a clear morning where there's nothing happening in the sky. Sure. Yeah. You know, except maybe to smooth out the waves. But the, yeah, so it, it's using those technical skills for me yeah. in situ in the right situations. So looking at the conditions and then working with those to, as you say, manufacture the image that you want. Even I was up in up at Whitehaven Beach a few weeks ago and there was this fantastic silvery old tree that had been uprooted and I, I think there, there was a bunch of other dead trees on, on the beach as well and it had been washed down a little bit so it was separated from this group 
but there was miles of people around and really? lots of them wanted to get in my shot to take their shot. I'm Good there on. with a tripod and whatever and deal uh, with that. Exactly what I'm just about to say. I got out, <laughs> okay. got out the 10 stop, got out the six stop. So I had 16 stops on the thing. Yeah. And I basically took the longest exposure that I could. Oh, right. Out a minute, That's smart. Which meant that most of the people were blurred out. There was a couple of people still standing there, but the removed Very good. stop now helped me out. Yeah, there. I wouldn't have thought of that, but I'm not a long exposure. Don't do it anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I got the clouds were moving reasonably quickly across the sky. Yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was middle of the day, blue yeah. sky, but <laughs> with white puffy clouds, and they were moving across the sky. So I got cloud movement, and I got rid of most of the people, and I got yeah. the texture in the sand that I want. So Did you still have to do a little bit of uh, cleaning up to. Oh yeah, we get rid of some of the people were weird smudges and so, yeah, smudges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that's smart. I wouldn't have thought of that. So well done. Yeah. yeah, so it, as I say, it's just working because it, it was a boat trip. Right? I knew I wasn't going to come out there at sunrise because to actually hire somebody to take me out in a boat right. or hire a boat on my own and get yeah, out there and all the rest of that would have cost me a bomb. Yeah. I so might just actually like work with what you turn on the light here. Yeah, you're right. Go for it. That's better. Just, just circling back to the whole conversation about success, I think it's also not necessarily about judging each image separately. I think you can also look oh, at no. your yeah. body of work and it, as long as you can see improvement over a certain time period, then, you know, you can certainly say, hey, it's been a, a successful year or, or whatever it is. Hey. There might be some stinkies within there, but as long as you come away with the at the end well, of the if, day, put it this way: if there and... if there aren't, you're you're not trying hard enough. Oh, yeah. You're not taking sure, enough. Yeah, you're time. not getting out there enough. So. I, I wanted to talk to you about that and yeah, that looking at your portfolio over time. A lot of people compare themselves to what they're seeing on social media, and this is where a lot of that angst from feelings of poor self-worth etc they come into that imposter syndrome and all that sort of thing people look at that how do you feel about looking at your own work and saying okay i started here i'm now here and i've definitely improved i can see that i've actually made progress which to me is actually the right way to approach your work and the only person you should really be comparing to is yourself yeah, you won't get any arguments here. I, I completely agree. And I, it always, like for me, I started probably getting serious, more serious into photography in about 2014. Yep. And so between then and now, it's a relatively good chunk of time. And then I will speak to people who picked it up two years ago and they're doing just as good as work as I am or possibly even better. I'm just blown away and thought, wow. Why did it take me so long? <laughs> but I think, yeah, times, I guess times are different back then. But, but yeah, I think imposter syndrome is something that happens to everyone, even the most successful and capable people. I think it's just acknowledging it that it happens and don't deny yourself from feeling that way. I think it's completely fine to feel that way and just know totally. that yeah. it's a short-term thing and it's going to come back. It comes and goes. So I think as long as you acknowledge it and allow it to happen, as long as it doesn't stop you from doing what you love, then I think it's completely fine. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. If you can look at your body of work, whether it's over a two-year period or 
10, 10 year period and you can see improvement, then that is all that matters. I guess that's easier said than done or felt. I, yeah, I guess like humans are very <laughs> flawed and tricky. Sometimes we are very emotional. We, we can't help but compare ourselves to other artists. But I think if you do compare yourself to other artists, it's just important to be inspired rather than to be feeling discouraged or, yeah. or discouraged or dispirited. Yeah, totally. It should push you. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, I guess, you mentioned that you're full-time now in photography or full-time in creative uh, because you do video as well. Yep. How did you make that choice? Was that an easy choice? Was it a career choice that you made early on or was it something that came? Uh, it wasn't too difficult. It, it happened around just after we got out of lockdown, actually, okay. so right after COVID. But even before that period, I'd already had feelings of, feeling like I needed to do something else. Yeah. I didn't know what it was at the time, whether it would be photography or just moving on to a different place but doing the same role. There are you do anything for long enough, you, those little frustrations feel even more bigger and and they affect you more and take a bit more of a toll. So I was definitely feeling that. It was a hard decision in the sense that I love the people who I worked with. They were great. It's yeah. really just maybe creatively it wasn't very necessarily very gratifying and um, clients can be um, frustrating sometimes. So it wasn't necessarily the people immediately around me who I was working with, but maybe it was some of the people who I was working for, suppose, yeah, if that makes yeah. sense. Yep. So, yeah, I it wasn't really a tough, it, it was a tough decision, not necessarily because of financial reasons. Like you might think that, oh, it was certainly a concern, but it, the main concern was that I didn't want to ruin something that I had a real passion for. Yeah, and that yeah. had always been a, more of a hobby and a, a something that I could, it was a, like a creative expression outside of my nine to five, seven, five day a week work. So oh, sure. my apprehension was about ruining something that I wanted to protect. So that was really my main concern. But I think at the end of the day, if you don't go for it, then you don't know. And there's always things you can do to help you keep things fresh and you can there are things you can implement to make sure you have a bit of a balance between work and yeah. still having carving out time to go down to the Great Ocean Road and do all the stuff that really got you into photography in the first place. So yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So that was really the main concern that I had. I'd always felt I've had enough savings, so I'm okay for a while in that department, and I can always fall back to my design job if things don't work out in yeah. photography, in freelancing. Yeah. So. There wasn't too much, yeah, there wasn't too many trepidations, just a couple, but yeah. yeah, fair enough. How do you maintain your creative vision and your artistic integrity, but then also cater to the commercial and client demands with what it's hard, it's hard, but I think I'm naturally pretty versatile, not only in the different um, important areas that I can produce work in, like video and photography. and design, but I'm also relatively flexible within those spaces in terms of um, style. I'm pretty pretty settled. It's not necessarily a good thing, but I, I know what I want from my own work. Yeah. I'm pretty pretty settled in that area. And in terms of commercial work, quite often they'll send you a mood board or they'll, they'll send you some examples of their their style, their corporate identity. And I feel relatively confident in being able to 
take that on board and do that. Yeah. And I'm completely fine with, because I do, I can draw a separation between my personal work and commercial work. If a client really wants bright, fluffy um, visual style, then I'm more than happy to do that. Um, and I, I'm relatively confident in being able to do that. Um, yeah, so having that versatility, which is something that I suppose is innate in me, like it's always been there, so mm. it's not too much of a challenge. Do you think a lot of that comes from your graphic design background? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. I have a pretty open, I'm pretty open-minded with everything. So I take everything in yep. and then I, I can access certain things when I need to. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. What do you think is the most important thing to remember in dealing with you marketing yourself and your personal brand? I think you have to treat it as a job. Like you really have to be disciplined about it. You can't just expect things to happen. Like you, it comes in terms of marketing and branding yourself. You really have to carve out the time to really focus on that. Yep. So you have to, which means having to put aside your editing you going outside to photograph that waterfall, whatever it be, whatever it is, and really focus on that part of your business if you do want to make that a photography your business. But also really getting out there and talking to other people and learning from people who have done it or who are doing it. Yeah. Um, and if they're kind enough, they'll, they'll happily share some information with you. So yeah. I think that's always um, a good way to learn about how to brand yourself, how to market yourself. and Hang around with really successful people and copy what they're doing, I think, is always a good way to approach it. Yeah, great advice, great advice. One of the things a lot of people struggle with is how they price their work. How do you <clears throat> go about doing that, both both commercially but also your private stuff that you might want to sell? Yeah, it, so. I feel like I'm still figuring that out. I've been a full-time photographer for all. Really, this is my first full financial year where I've been... Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, a full time photographer. Like I had some time maybe about ten months before that. But that period was a bit of more of a honeymoon. That was when I just finished up my previous full time job and I was travelling and Yeah, right. I wasn't very focused on my photography business. I was taking it a little bit too easy. So this year this financial year has really been the first official financial year of being a, a full time creative. In terms of pricing it is a hard one. The thing is, you most people will talk to other people, but they'll give you different answers. So it doesn't make it doesn't make things any easier. There's yeah. no real standard across the industry. Like I'll, I've heard of people charge like crazy amounts of money. I'm thinking, really, you, you can get away with that? And then oh, if someone's going to pay it, yeah, you can. Yeah, that's the thing. I think you just said it there. You, it's really about having honest conversations with your client your potential client and just be up front and um, ask them what the budget is and if it's x then you might say how about we do x plus y and if they can't do it then maybe you do it anyway maybe you don't and you just say hey i can't do it for that price yeah yeah Uh, that's that's the thing is understanding where your cutoff point is where you can just say all right under that i just I'm not making any money out of it. It's actually costing me to do the work yeah. and not giving your your services away for nothing. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's it's such a 
it's a difficult thing and there's no real right answers. There have been times where I've taken a really low paying job, but it's if it's paid dividends up down the line because they've yeah, right. hired me again or referred me to someone else. You might take a, a lower price, but then it comes back to you in different ways. So it yeah. might set the ball rolling and you get momentum from that small paying job, which can lead to bigger and better things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't think it's, if you have to take that job for a, a smaller amount, then that's a personal choice, but that's, that can work out quite well as well. What about fitting in your personal stuff? How do you fit that in around all of the stuff that you've got to do? Um, you mentioned you've got to not, do the marketing and, it, yeah. and so forth. There's a lot the of hats you've got to wear. Sure. At the moment, it's not too hard because it's like I'll have periods where I'm quite busy and periods where I'm not. There's not a lot of, I guess that's just part of being a freelancer. You don't have a lot of consistency. Yeah. Um, so it's not too hard to find a stretch of a few days, even where I'll have some time. So I'll probably just work on either my shop, which I've just started, um, opened up with selling some digital products. I can work on advertising and marketing stuff for that, or possibly even developing new products. Or I can just work on my social media presence yeah, right. or hopefully go out and, and shoot. <laughs> Yeah, so at the moment, it's not too difficult. And I'm advantaged in, in the sense that I don't have kids. So that really helps. Yeah, I know some people who do have kids, so their free time is monopolised by them. So yeah, it's yeah, probably a bit more of a challenge yeah. for some other people. But for me, luckily, it's it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah cool. You talked about doing quite a bit of travel photography. What's the furthest you've travelled to get a shot? The furthest? Probably, it would be like Iceland or Norway. Okay. Yeah. I can't, my geography is terrible. I'm not sure, not sure which, what is further north, Iceland or Norway, but <laughs> I don't know. One of those two. <laughs> it depends on where you go in Norway, I think. That's true. Yeah. That is true. It would, it would probably be up there in the Arctic yeah. Circle. That would be the furthest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I actually have, have quite fun memories of Norway. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Speaking of Norway. Do you, do you have a favourite spot? It can be anywhere in the world or is some, somewhere um, that keeps calling you back? I guess the Black Spur, which is relatively close to me, which is probably in it, just over an hour's drive. That's probably yep. a favourite. There are times where I, I feel like I've, I've taken all the photos that I can. <laughs> it's just, there's no point in going back, but it, somehow it just gets me out of bed at four in the morning and, uh, and I yeah. find myself there. I think that, that, Sort of, you're always wanting to chase fog because when fog does appear in that spot, it's beautiful anyway. But when you get some atmosphere, yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's completely funny. different place. And it is, it sounds cliche, but it is quite magical when yeah. you get that fog. So I think it's that excitement of driving out there and hoping that there, there's some fog. And mm. if there isn't, then you try again. But if there is, then the chance, it's a really good chance you walk away with some really good shots. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been to Blacksburg? I have. Only ever driven through it, though, and it wasn't oh, okay. foggy. I've ne never pulled up and actually taken a shot there. So. Yeah, right. You weren't that impressed with it, eh? <laughs> oh, no. We, it we was were like on our day, way blazing sun. Okay. But funnily enough, coming back, I had the uh, the fuel light on, and as you right. the other side of Blacksburg to when, once you get down yeah. into the Yarra Valley, there are no services. So it was like, <laughs> get through there quick. <laughs> You're like having here tonight. 
Yeah, it was a real possibility. <laughs> what time of year was it? Do you remember? It was around Easter time, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think most people find themselves there during winter because the chances of fog are yeah, yeah, definitely. But, definitely. Yeah, yeah. but I de definitely like to get out there and, and take some shots. I, I know seeing your work and a few others that, that shoot there that yeah. know, it's definitely got potential. <laughs> yeah, and not, not that it matters, but every time I post a shot from Black's fur, it always does really well. <laughs> yeah, uh, not, that, not surprising. Not surprising. Yeah, that sort of can motivate you to get out there again. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Do you think places like Blackspur and where the places that you go regularly where you live has influenced how you shoot? It's obviously influenced what you shoot and you're looking for fog and that sort of thing. But do you think it's yeah. do you think it's shaped the way that you shoot? An interesting question. Don't think so. Yeah, I've never thought about a location affecting the way that I shoot. I'm always fumbling around, so it doesn't really matter what location <laughs> I'm in. But fair uh, enough. <laughs> but yeah, do you have that? Yeah, obviously, yeah. living in Sydney and going to the beaches, or it, oh, I mean, right. for me, I'm the beach, or I'm up in the mountain. The Blue Mountains is about e equal distance for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if if it's raining, then it'll be Blue Mountains waterfalls. If it's yeah, sure. If it's looking like a a, a banger sunrise, I'm usually yeah. down the beach. So yeah. that has shaped a little bit about how I shoot because obviously if, if you're down there for sunrise, I've I've tried to vary what I do quite a bit rather than yeah. just the same old thing. But shooting flow shots, that lovely yeah. silky flowing water is always good yeah. value. Yeah. And it, yeah. it feels quite nice when you're doing it too <laughs> but I'm also particularly for sunrise I like to try and get there about an hour before and yeah probably take about 15 20 minutes half an hour maybe as, as much as half an hour to set up yeah, uh, right. somewhere and then do ultra long exposures like seven or eight minutes whoa um, which is in the dark where the yeah. visual... How do you know you're photographing or is it trial and error type thing? Setting up compositions is challenging and that yeah. that's one of the reasons why I do it because the, the challenge of trying to find what could be a good foreground <laughs> could also be a real dud. <laughs> yeah, hey, hang on, this is a pile of poo in the foreground. I didn't yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. But usually you're getting that ultra flat, sheen of water but it's yeah. the glow and the colors that you can get in the skies you can get greens yeah, right. as well as purples as well as the oranges and blues and so forth as well yeah it's <laughs> just it's quite experimental as well and you yeah. don't get off you don't get a lot of opportunities for it because once the light gets to a certain point it yeah. becomes a bit pointless taking that's why <clears throat> that's why i don't like i tend to favor shooting sunset over sunrise, other than waking up in ridiculous times. But I don't, <laughs> it, the idea of, especially if it's a location that I don't know, the idea of showing up in the dark and trying to find my composition in the dark is not I great. I have a headlamp um, and I got a torch. So it's, uh, it's not, yeah, but it, it doesn't complete really. guesswork. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. yeah, it's not quite the same. No, it um, isn't quite the same. Yeah. yeah, but then the quality of light, I find it's a bit more fleeting, like that. 
that very much. Yeah, yeah, that morning you say you understand minutes, you get that one shot, and then yeah. even when you start putting filters on, you're down to three minutes very quickly, and then two, mm. and then seconds. Yeah. Simply in in a sunrise situation, and it's not much different on a sunset. Though you don't, I find you don't get the same quality of light in the afterglow of sunsets. Mostly, yeah, it, it tend the light just tends to switch off much quicker at sunset. Yeah, it than is it much quicker. So do you not even bother when it gets to that point, and you just hang up or just uh, sometimes up I've played around with it a bit, but mm. I've got to I've got to be honest and say that I haven't been as happy with the results of that as I have okay. at sunrise. You know, you don't necessarily have to go for that seven or eight minutes yeah. to get yeah. similar results, but the things that you can get when it's, it is really dark to the naked eye, yeah. uh, the things that you can get in that pre-dawn, that that sort of yeah. you know, 45 minutes, that nautical twilight sort of period, yeah is yeah. for me i just find it fascinating that you can just see all these color variations come through yeah i guess it depends what you're shooting as well depending on what it is maybe that sunrise chunk of five minutes isn't necessarily ideal and it's probably better to shoot an hour after sunrise it depends on what you're shooting really yeah like i find absolutely. that if you're shooting if you're shooting the ocean and water then you probably want to wait like an hour or two after sunrise because then the blue the water is much bluer um, yeah, sometimes I've done some daytime ultra longs by putting a, a, a six stop and a, a ten stop on the <clears> front <throat> and trying to slow things down. But to be honest, even at things like F eighteen, you're still only getting a minute. <laughs> That's plenty. Like, I don't. Remember. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like three seconds. Three seconds is enough. <laughs> but as I said, the difference—the difference between a seven-minute exposure and a, a minute exposure at, at different times of the day is very, very yeah, different. Okay, so, I'll take your word for it. I'm not much of a long exposure photographer, but <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I don't defer to your But I, I really enjoy the—I I just enjoy the experimentation of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's also about. The, the look like you like, for instance, that smooth, silky water flow and the silky clouds. and Yeah, the sky looking very different to what the naked eye could ever see and the water looking yeah, okay. very different. And as long as you've got some nice either rock structures in front of you or cliffs and that sort of thing to give shape to it, just going out and pointing it straight out to sea with no features is mm. pointless as well so it's a, yeah. it's the challenge of finding the right place in the dark the challenge of doing all of that that's why i do it you know it's just yeah it's, yeah it's just yeah. something that's a little bit different to what a lot of other people do yeah 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 that's fair enough yeah i if i'm shooting in sunrise and it's, especially if it's a shot that i really want then i'll probably rock up in the day before either in on midday or yeah, or sunset to do some reconnaissance and just to see I, where I, I might be able to find my. I like to have shot a location yeah. before where there's a bit more light before I go there in yeah. in the complete dark. Yeah. And you don't always have that luxury, but it, it would be nice if you can. To... That's exactly it. It depends on where I am and what the conditions are, and a lot really depends on tides as well. Sure. As yeah. What what features you can get to or not get to yeah um yeah. but yeah it's it, as i say it's just a a way that i like to shoot um 
back to you though. What's your most memorable experience with photography? Uh, oh, my most memorable, definitely not shooting weddings. Uh, don't don't you love weddings? that? <laughs> Can't think of anything worse. Um, <laughs> I'd have to say, and it's not necessarily the image that I'm most happy with, but as an experience, I think seeing the Northern Lights in yeah. Norway is probably right up there. I can't even remember the exact location, but we were, it was a trip as a part of a workshop. I think his name was, is Jared Castain. I think he's Tasmanian, but he's an Australian photographer. Really okay. nice guy. So I joined his photography workshop and we went up to Lefouten in Norway and we were chasing Aurora and we were lucky enough to sort of um, experience it. And, and this particular night, the, the activity was quite strong and you can see it stretch from one from the horizon right across yeah, to the wow. other side. And it was just, we were just all looking up in, in awe. Like I couldn't just, I couldn't believe my eyes like this was yeah. happening. And it's like, I'm not really an astro photographer guy. And I'm particularly frustrated when it comes to shooting stars. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do like Northern Lights. Like that's just completely different thing. And I think the reason why I gravitate more towards Northern Lights is because you can, it depends, but you can actually see it with your eyes a lot more. Yeah, like with yeah. shooting Milky Way and Astro, your camera sensor is gathering all, and it's doing a lot of the work. And then you see this screen, this image pop up in your screen, and there's a disconnect between what and what you're in the screen. For some people, that's where the excitement lies. But for me, I like, I want to experience it. Yeah. And so right. shooting stars, I've denied that experience, that real experience. So when it comes to Northern Lights, you can actually see it with your naked eye. Yeah, and the connection between what you're on the screen is much tighter. So I definitely prefer that. And, yeah, that particular night, it was amazing. And I think part of it is because there were people around me. If I was still out there on my own, it would have been great, but it wouldn't have been the same experience yeah. to share that with other people. Yeah. And to see the same amazing natural wonder was yeah, I think that's what really put the icing on the cake. Yeah, fantastic. And we like we don't really know each other. We're just 10 strangers who've met up on this trip and we have this sort of shared passion for photography and we're all there to do the same thing and to hopefully catch the same thing. And, yeah, when it happened that night, it was pretty pretty special. I actually minted that photo as a as an NFT. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, because of the, the personal story. Like, I, it's not the best image. I've ever taken, but because of yep. the meaning behind it, I thought, oh, that'd be a great NFT. So, yeah. yeah. Very cool. What about horror stories? Have you had any out in the field? Out in the field? Not really. Probably the closest thing would be like crashing my drone. But even then, it was, it wasn't minimally damaged. Like I could salvage it and it was still working. Okay. But I mean, the horror story really, and it's nothing like having a seal jump out of the bush and biting my leg and falling over a cliff. <laughs> but it's like just having a hard drive or SD card failure, that's that's probably the, the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I yeah, don't know it's, if it's happened it's to you. Yeah. Um, so it's happened to me in the commercial world as well as in sort oh, of the no. personal work world. Yeah, like with, with on one occasion I was able to recover some of the files, but... Other files were lost, and for the client work, I lost some images, which luckily okay about it, but they weren't necessarily super important because I wasn't really there to take photos, actually. I was there to take video. 
yeah. and I got hassled to take photos and I ended up losing those images, which is never really a great feeling, but luckily they went to, it wasn't uh, a huge amount of importance placed on those yeah. images. So, yeah. You mentioned being there with 10 strangers, as you call them. Do you prefer to photograph alone or with other people? Yeah, my attitude has changed over the years. Like when I was starting out, be on my own. And it was probably, there wasn't much choice really because I didn't really know anyone who was interested in the same thing that I was. And it's also part of my personality. I like my own space and I'm quite comfortable being on my own. So, like, when we were in lockdown, I was fine, you know, it was, um, I was okay. I didn't struggle as, as much as other people did with being isolated and being a bit lonely, but that is part of my personality. And when I started photography, that was very much my experience was just shooting on my own. But, but now my attitude has changed. Like, I prefer to, to shoot with other people. And no. if I can, then I will. And also now is really... It's really just the way of getting, catching up with your mates, really. Like, yeah. we go out to brunch, we go out <laughs> and photograph something. We might have brunch afterwards, but... Absolutely, yeah. But, yeah, it's really a way to catch up. And a lot of times, I don't even care if I get a good shot or not. It's just really going out there and catching up with a friend. It's a bit weird to say because, in some ways, going out to photograph something is a little bit antisocial because you're not really... I'm doing something here and my friend will be off over there doing his thing, yep, taking yep. his eight minute long exposure. <laughs> but you're there again. But yeah, yeah, that's how we yeah. get together and socialize and catch up. And yeah. So yeah, my attitude has changed. I prefer to, to shoot with other people. And my experience has been you probably more than likely get a shot that you wouldn't otherwise have gotten if you were on your own. Yeah. So you they might be they might be doing something over there and you think, Oh, that's a great idea. I might try that out. Yeah. Or they might see what you're doing, then they might try. Or there's someone it's also great to have someone who can stand in the frame to subject oh, yeah. or give something to scale, scale or, or something like that. So yeah, there's all sorts of benefits. Driving, like they can drive you to the location. There's all sorts <laughs> of benefits to shooting um without the I'm being like it's totally selfish, but <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. What do you like when you get back from a shoot? Are you straight into editing or do you leave things? No, I'm very much the opposite. And I feel like most people um, really get into editing. I don't know why, and I, I'm not sure whether it's it wasn't the case early, but nowadays I don't want anything to do with the photos after okay. I come back. Yeah, so I don't even look at, I don't even look at it at my LCD screen. I come back home drop my bag. I might even clean my camera. I'm a okay. bit fastidious and fussy when it comes to my gear. I like to clean yeah, yeah. it, but I won't even look at the images. Like I, I will know if I have a good shot or not, but I like to have a bit of space and time okay. between taking and between editing. Maybe I'm just making excuses for being lazy. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, okay. but quite often I'll be on a, like a trip, whether it's a tourism trip or like a, a personal trip with friends yeah. and we'll come back from the shoot and they're editing and they're sh- they're showing me their, their stuff. And they're saying, Tom, look at my screen. I'm like, yeah, cool, cool. But I, I don't want to know. <laughs> it's cool, yeah. It looks good. I don't oh, want to know. Cool. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but yeah. Yeah. I, I want to I just, I'm trying to search for the right time to start that process. And yeah. also I tend to favor a particular time of day. I don't like editing at night. 
Okay. And I don't like editing in the morning either. I like editing, um, this is so silly, around 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the, morning, in the afternoon. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I find that the, the daylight is a bit better and images look better on the screen and that motivates you to keep editing and keep yeah, plugging away. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I can be sometimes sitting here till two or three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I if, cannot if I'm edit in a dark room. Yeah, uh, I can't edit. I know you're probably supposed to edit in a dark space, but I can't do that. No, uh, uh, yeah, uh, fair I enough. <laughs> and also, I like looking at my own images at that same time of day. Like, I don't like to look at my images in the morning or at night. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So during that period, it's a good time for me to edit, but also review the images and and look at them and assess them that way. Yeah. 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 Always, yeah. if I look at my work at, like now, I just think trash. There's <laughs> <laughs> just something about the light, because I guess you've got your room lights and stuff like that. It just doesn't look good. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So do you print much of your work or? No, no. I wish I did. I would like to do more. I Actually, a year ago, I'd set up my print store with the aim of selling, wanting to sell some of my work. Sure. But that was all set up and I had someone who was going to fulfill the orders and I put in a test order just to QA and make sure everything's yep. Yep. going to look great. So I put in a like a fake order and I had it shipped to my apartment and I looked at it and I thought, oh, this looks this looks pretty ordinary. And I got really discouraged and that's put it in, that put a sort of a pause on my wow, print okay. store. But, uh, but I would like to print more stuff. I actually would like to just buy my own printer and just print off stuff when I'm process end to end. Yeah. Yeah. I know that can be quite expensive, but that's a luxury of that. It's also, it's also a completely different skill set. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you find, have you printed much of your own work? A little bit. Or yourself? I, yeah. I, I don't have a, a good enough print. It's okay for doing a test and just if I can get something that's adequate that kind of looks what I'm seeing on the screen, then I know the file is good enough to send off to the printer. Okay. Brightening somewhere between 20 and 10% sometimes, yeah. just lifting the shadows yeah. a little bit so that you don't have any black blacks and you don't have yeah. any white whites, making sure that you just, yeah. You know, toning down some of those things but the key thing is getting the contrast right that's um, right yeah that's yeah. what i've struggled with because i yeah. a lot of my work like i'm happy with it the way it looks on screen but then if i wanted to print it i know that i'm going to have to increase the contrast which is something that i'm uncomfortable with um, <laughs> because i don't really want another version of the same image floating around in my hard drives yeah um, right. right but there's also that unknown um yeah, I guess if you have your own printer, then you can assess there and then whether something is working or not. Yeah, for, for me, having a relationship with the guy that's doing the printing and yeah. having a, a really good conversation with him, getting him to understand what you're trying to do and what you're trying to do. Are they happy to print proofs? Or Sometimes. Just it just yeah. depends on it's really hard to proof, say, a big acrylic because that, that's really expensive for them. Yeah. Oh, small yeah. stuff, yeah, but if you want yeah. to print a, a big acrylic print, yeah, it, it's yeah. okay. You do your best and you have the conversation, but um, yeah. I've, I've found yeah. quite good results. I'm not uh, definitely not unhappy with the results that I've been able to achieve, but, yeah, yeah. getting a, a proof of that is challenging because... What's the conversation with the printer? What are you talking about? Uh, it's mostly, okay, he will take a look at the file and he, right. he will come back and say... 
oh, can you do something with these shadow areas or whatever? Because that's cool. Yeah. What might happen is on screen you can see the definition, but yeah, depending yeah. on the print profiles that they're using and what paper you're printing on, yep. they will blend together and become either a murky grey or a just a black yeah, blob. Yeah. And yep. you you might have to play around with the contrast in the shadows. It's mostly that that sort of thing. So if it's a night shot in particular, how you get that sort of orangey reflection on the clouds sometimes yeah. might dealing with that toning the oranges down a little bit so that it's a little bit more grey. So it, it, it's that kind of conversation. So he'll take a look at the file. You send the file off. You you do your best to get what you think. And as yeah. I say, using the small printer, I'll print a, a proof off myself as best I can to give me yeah. an idea. Okay, there's, I can't see any really big black splodges or white splodges. So yeah. you yeah. submit him the, the image and then he'll have a look on his screen and whatever and tell you, okay, this bit here needs its lifting or dropping or whatever. Yep. Just to, yep. So it's, it's really sense. that two-way conversation then yeah. around trying to get the contrast. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, I've always, I haven't printed too many things, but I've just always just done my best because I do um, tweak it yeah. for print and then yeah. send it off and, and just hope for the best. But I I really should have a conversation with the printers. <laughs> yeah, get get to know your printer. It's uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's good advice. A small relationship, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Also, I wouldn't mind just having a photo book and and printing some of my work in just having it in a book. I think that would be pretty. Yeah, pretty I, cool. I I do at least one or two of those a year, and if we yeah. do, if we do an overseas trip, for example, I might might do one of of that. But that that. That sort of thing will include unedited phone shots and all the rest of it. So, oh really? Yeah, I might, nice. I, I might be less a holiday book. I might be less concerned about the quality. Sure. Of absolutely, every, yeah. So, yeah. Sure. So for some of them, I'll do a, a quick brush over edit. And, yeah, okay. And not spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. Like using a, a few presets and whatever, just to... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like, are you working from a template or, or something? Or... Yeah, I've got a I've got a couple of presets. But to be honest, my my most usual the, the one that I use the most actually just zeroes everything except for a little bit of contrast and a little bit of vibrance. So yeah. I do that and then I tweak from there and then put it into Photoshop and most of the contrast adjustments I'm doing targeted to specific areas of the image you know, yep. i might adjust the contrast on the midtones more than i do it on the highlights for example yeah are you spending a lot of time print or not no, Photoshop for or? Me, probably about i can knock up an image if i really try hard i can knock it up in in about five minutes um, yeah but i guess what i mean is like when you process your image is a mostly a lot of it is, is in photoshop or do you spend I only, yeah i, I use Adobe Camera Raw, which has all of the features of yeah. Lightroom. So you are you are a Photoshop guy. Yeah, only only, yeah, only okay. Photoshop, but even there, they know Lightroom. You're know like, what's Lightroom? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't even have it installed. And oh wow, I don't like. One of the things that annoyed me about Lightroom when I had much less hard disk space than I now have. <laughs> that it actually if you're using Photoshop, you're going to have a lot of problems with storage. Yeah. <laughs> But what I found with Lightroom was because of the database that it kept of all of the images and all the edits mm. and all the rest of that, yeah. just 
bloated the amount of space that I. Oh really? Oh, okay. Yeah. I, and I did. I I struggled to get my head around and like the the interface for yeah. actually managing all of your images. So I I just used Windows yeah, okay. Explorer. Yeah. Okay. So, See, I was like, I when I started photography because of my background in design. There was a tool that I used a lot in design. And yeah. back in the day when I was designing websites, we'd use Photoshop. Seems unthinkable now to be doing that stuff in Photoshop. But back then, a lot of the designs were done in Photoshop. And so I had more familiarity with that software. So yeah. I was editing my photos in Photoshop and using Adobe Camera Raw. Like Lightroom at that time was like, oh, I don't want to use Lightroom. <laughs> um, but I eventually moved over to Lightroom. And it's relatively the same. I do find myself wanting to, like doing a base edit in Lightroom and then depending on the image, I'll switch over to Photoshop because I find that some of the controls in terms of affecting shadows and highlights are a bit better in Photoshop. Yeah, it's not it's all, a, like, you've yeah, got all these things uh, are editing. Yeah, like not all, it's, they're not all the same. Like the exposure tool in in one application has a different effect to another one. Even yeah. though they're the same tool, but one yeah. can be much more harsher on your highlights or whatever. So I find yeah. that Photoshop for certain things is is better. So I still find because I do a lot of exposure blending, I I need to have layers. So yeah, yeah. The mask the masking in Lightroom doesn't quite cut it. It's great yeah, for yeah. single images and making adjustments to single images. But if you want to, yeah. if you're dealing with a high dynamic range. You're stacking exposures, is that, I'm is that what stack, you mean? Yeah, I, I might be stacking uh, five exposures, yeah, and, and yeah. in a couple of rare cases, six. But Are you still doing that relatively manually, like with masks and painting in areas? Or no, I've got a. It's like luminosity mask. Yeah, or? I've got a tool that actually creates the luminosity mask for me. So I, oh, okay. I, I yep. push a button, push a button, and it stacks all the images. Order. I sometimes change <laughs> the order. Yeah. Uh, I then create the luminosity mask that I want and then I just play with the, the right. blending by painting in the areas that I want to highlight or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I was thinking surely by now there's a way just to there is. all that. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a mile of tools. I, you can I, tell I, that I don't do a lot of I use one from, what's his name, Jimmy McIntyre. <clears throat> I feel like every landscape photographer who's made it has some sort of luminosity panel thingy, right? Yeah. Am I wrong? <laughs> A lot of them. I, I haven't developed them, yeah. I don't intend to. Yeah. I've got one. you got to get onto it, otherwise you you can't claim to have made a graph. <laughs> you got to pull one. <laughs> Clearly not. I don't even know. What are they? Is it just, I don't even know how you do them. Are they just macros? Or I don't know. I, yeah, it's yeah. basically a macro recording. And, yeah, but it, it it's it, it's basically creating channel masks. You could totally do it. You're a technical person. Right? Yeah, I know. Totally... I, I could if I wanted Do they charge for that stuff or...? Oh yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, some of them. Some of them. I don't know that. I don't know if there's anyone that's gone out and done one as a a, a pay per month sort of thing. But right, I know okay. most of them you pay an upfront fee, and that gives you unlimited. Yeah, it's a lifetime yeah. for life. So yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. It's just not. I guess it's not the type of photography I. I do. I can imagine myself doing that stuff if I was doing more real estate stuff in the commercial states. Yeah, it's really handy for the real estate stuff. Um, right, yeah. Not much good for candid people photography. It just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. But, 
Got to get that. Well, with a model, it was like, can you just hold still and then take five? Yeah. Or just... I'll still five minutes. <laughs> One for your eyes and can you imagine? How do you deal with creative walls? <clears throat> Have you ever hit a hit hit a roadblock that yeah. sort of put you off? You... I think because I am fundamentally a location photographer, a travel photographer, I find that the walls are usually just being like feeling a bit unmotivated and uninspired to shoot the same place again. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably not the right attitude to have. And I'm quite sure it's the wrong attitude to have. I feel like I've explored all the interesting parts of my immediate area, which is completely wrong. I'm sure there's some lots of other great places out yeah. there in my in my radius. But I think that's where I struggle the most is <clears throat> just not feeling very inspired because I feel like there's only so many times when when you can shoot the Twelve Apostles or go to the yeah, Black Spur, yeah. and then you feel like you're out of options, and then you just feel a bit stagnant. But usually, you get out of those ruts when people just like, and when maybe Julian will be like, "Hey, let's go to the Black. What am I going to photograph there?" But okay, I'll go, <laughs> and we end up having a good time. But usually, it's those kind of ruts, yeah, uh, and they come and go. Unfortunately, the best remedy for me is just to travel somewhere else and get inspired again and experience some different landscapes and different scenery and stuff like that. But that's not, not always possible. Yeah. What do you see as being the biggest challenge for photography right now? Ooh. It is very hard to, I think, and I struggle with it myself, is to find something that is unique to you. I guess in terms of location, there's only certain, like all the angles have been covered in, and you've seen it all on Instagram and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Um, finding new locations and, and also finding a unique take on something is really hard because the temptation is always just to copy other people, which it's that's a valid thing to do. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, yeah. if you really want to stand out as your own, like as a, a unique artist, then finding something that speaks to you that is unique that hasn't been done is really hard yeah i think that's a really tough thing and also now with artificial intelligence that that's an interesting thing i don't know what your attitude is about that but i'm interested to see how that can change photography and how we approach our work and yeah i i I see positives and negatives in it it's like any technology tool yeah whether or not i think it's a lot of what you see now are being passed off as photography that mm. that annoys me where it's clearly not you know you you basically created a, a an image but yeah for me it, it's actually more about okay who does it belong to is it the bloke who wrote the code is it the people's whose images were uh used to train the ai itself yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yes, you created a bunch of words that generate it, but just if I I struggle with as well, and I've dabbled with it, but where I see other negatives is people in the creative industries, including some graphic designers and whatever. Companies are already starting to use it to cut costs, and if a company Mm. can cut costs, they will. So if they can get AI to put their clothes on a fake model, they will. Mm. Therefore, models will be out of work, the photographers will be out of work, and 
the companies will be making more profit because they're not paying a photographer and a model to do all of that photo shoot of their their next fashion range, for example, or the 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 next design of their cola can or whatever it is. Yeah. It was interesting when I was a bit more active on Twitter now X, there was a lot of conversation about it being different to photography and it's its own thing and it's no threat to photography, which I thought was I don't think it's a big threat to landscape photography because... I I think it's a... Particularly like you... Maybe not landscape, but like in the commercial space. I'm still going to go out and take shots whether or not somebody's sitting there generating seascapes or not. I'm going to... Because I want the experience of going out there and doing it. And I think a lot of landscape photographers want that. But as I say, the commercial side of things, I I definitely see some existential threats to parts of the industry. Yeah, I think... I tend to agree with what you said, but also you could probably help people like you and I who go out and capture real things that might be, you might generate more of an appetite yeah. for the real kind of thing and not the artificial and the synthetic exactly. Fake stuff. Exactly. So yeah. it might place more value on, on the things that we do. Um, it may well do. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing I can see, and and whether or not it's a positive or a negative is is up for debate. But I can I can see it getting built into camera systems. It, it already is, isn't it? It already is in in yeah. certain ways. But basically, being able to you can see with the Google and iPhone, the Google Pixel and Samsung yeah. and all those sorts of things. Now in camera on the phone before you post it you can get rid of things you can add things you can so it's already there helping people yeah. improve their photography. yeah <laughs> i think that's what you i think you were talk, we were just part of this conversation was what the challenges in photography are and i think that is one of the challenges with all these amazing tools like ai and smartphones they're great and they help to grant more accessibility but I'm yeah. concerned that it, it will it may also devalue what we do like people's oh, expectations yeah. Are, yeah. are going to be shifting they get they're going to shift and they're going to have expectations of oh this is this is easier to do why am I paying you this much to, to exactly. take a photo when it's you can use your smartphone to get a great image so my concern is it, it may devalue what we yeah. do which what, is not what would your smartphone image look like on a billboard that, that's well, my response to them. Use AI to enhance it, right? Yeah, you could. You could. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Like you, you can't replace artistry and the person behind the tools and behind the technology, which is essentially what's controlling yeah. all these amazing tools. Like you can't. That's what's, I guess, separates yourself Absolutely. and myself from a like a, a regular Joe on the street using his iPhone. To capture something yeah who would you suggest that i get on to the oh that's a good question does it have to be someone i know no personally no no it could be anyone who could you get i would like to i can't think of a name but i can point you in a direction sure which is to maybe you've already have had such a guess but maybe someone who shoots film like i'd probably would like to know a bit more about how they approach their work, how they approach capturing and, and also developing. And because it's such a foreign kind of workflow to myself. Yeah. And yeah. probably a lot of people in this day and age as well. I know it's quite trendy at the moment and 
there are good options in terms of point and shoot stuff, but but yeah, maybe a bit more old school stuff. Yeah, I've spoken to a couple school. of people that have done film in the past, but a couple of weeks ago, the episode with Ben Horn, uh, okay. which he's really interesting because he's using a large format sort of box wooden camera really Do really photograph old landscapes or yeah yeah doing landscapes wow. around it's amazing. The, the southwest of uh usa arizona all that sort of thing yeah okay so yeah, yeah i he, might have to fly seek the horn okay <laughs> he's well worth uh ha- having a, a listen to um i've only got one more question for you and uh, many of my listeners it's the most important question i ask is this the secret question or it is yeah oh okay it better <laughs> be like good because i've been waiting an hour for this do you like pineapple? what's your favorite food <laughs> that is a good question and i'm family i have a very strong opinion <laughs> but anyway we digress do you like pineapple on pizza oh is that is actually that the is, question that's the question oh wow wow that's a great question because, like I said, I have a strong opinion on that one. A lot uh, of people do. I'm, not, I'm determined to get to the bottom. You strike me as a pineapple person, Grant, which I'm very unhappy about because <laughs> I'm firmly <laughs> no pineapple. You're a, you're a no pineapple. Yeah. I'm a no pineapple. I, I, you should I, care, Grant. You should care because it's I don't normally wrong. want it, but if it's yeah. on, I'll eat it. You don't mind. Yeah. 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 So I mean, but where do you draw? You have to draw the line. Where do you draw the line? You can't go throwing bananas and Apples aren't pizzas now. I've, I've had a dessert pizza with bananas and that's not a pizza. That's chocolate a on it. Yeah, it, it was weird. <laughs> it was weird. I can honestly say I didn't like it that much. But uh, have you, you been know. tracking and recording who's been on what side? Do you? Know? I, I'm I'm nearly 120. Oh, I think this is episode 122 or something, and yeah, I right. still haven't done the numbers. <laughs> What's your feeling? Like, where are we landing? Oh, are most people. It would be fairly 50-50, I think. Oh, wow. There's a lot of people with very strong no's. There's also yeah. equally quite a few people that are up for Did it. you ask this to Julian or? Yeah, yeah. And I think was, we all uh, know what his answer would be. Yeah, he was a definite no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was like. He was like you. He was like, no, and I'm not taking any questions. <laughs> any more questions. <laughs> That's it. No further discussion. <laughs> yeah, there's no debate. But look, I am firmly against it, but I will eat it. I will eat it. So there you go. I'll give you that. Uh, fantastic. All right. It's been absolutely marvellous spending time you. with you, Tom. Where can people find your work? I have, I am on Instagram. I like to, if they could find me on TikTok, because I'm struggling on TikTok. And I still don't use followers. it. <laughs> come and follow me on TikTok. I hate TikTok, but come and follow me on TikTok. My handle, um, Tom, double underscore, very important, double underscore. Because someone took the single underscore, which is very rude. But double underscore, Quan, Q-U-A-N. That's where you'll find me. All right. Thank you very much for taking the time. It's been wonderful, mate. Good to chat. Thanks, mate. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show. And keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon.